following is a presentation of Main Street Media, your source for news, sports, and information on Main Street in Middle Tennessee. Welcome into a wild and wacky Wednesday edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Chris Yao, Mo Patton to my right. I don't, I guess he's to your left if you're watching this on TV. <laughs> over there. He's, he's, he's over there. Yeah. That's, that's Mo right there, in case you were wondering. And that's the bear, Coach Bryant. We'll talk about him a little bit mm-hmm. later. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you, and I'm looking very much forward to it. It is Wild and Wacky Wednesday, though. That means we're going to give you the weirdest and wildest news from across the world and Florida a little bit later. Not necessarily in that order. Not necessarily. Probably Florida first. It's mm. always fun just to start there. <laughs> of course, you can start only go, there. You can only go stay down. there. Yeah, you can only go down if you if you leave. Well, you kind of you kind of set the bar pretty high yeah. when you start in Florida. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So we'll get to uh, get to all that a little bit later as well. We've got two great guests, of course. If you like, watch the title card there. We've got Heather Williams who will join us and talk NASCAR as she does each and every Wednesday. Championship four on Sunday this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also. Uh, We've got David Ubbin, senior writer for The Athletic, covering college football. Of course, last night, the college football uh, playoff rankings were released, and we'll react to that. We'll also get his reaction as well, as the Tennessee Volunteers are el numero uno, number one in the country. Pretty crazy, if you if you really think about it. So, uh, yeah. Well, if you were around two years ago. <laughs> you told me this. When, when Rocky Top was at rock bottom. If you had told me this. 13 months ago, I would have laughed in your face. If you just said one year from this day, this day, <laughs> Tennessee's going to be the you know, number one team you know, in the this, country. The, these are the 2021 college football playoff rankings, the first ones. When next year's come out, UT is going to be number one. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I would have. I would have cried laughing in your face. Mm. I would have said horse laugh. Absolute just, just, nut. Just horse laugh. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be able to stop you. There's a guy in a Facebook group that I'm in named Justin Pike. And I don't know if that's his real name or not, but he has been it, the the Facebook group is called College Football Frenzy. And from day one of this season, he has been predicting Tennessee to be in the college football playoff. And I've been in every comment being like, you're an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. This year, there's no way. Yeah, up until about three weeks ago, and then I stopped commenting <laughs> <laughs> and and hoping he wasn't keeping receipts. Right? Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Mm. But yeah, so we're gonna get we're gonna get deep into it a little bit later, and uh, and much much more. We've also got um, as we get deep into it, I, I want to in case this question isn't already on your radar. Think about this. What at this point does it take for UT to not be in the playoffs? I think that's a, a, a major question that we'll have to talk about because I, I think there are opt, there's some there's some things that can happen. But mm-hmm. yeah, we they're, they're, I asked they're this, pretty far fetched. I asked this two weeks ago, mm-hmm. Mo. I said two weeks ago that they beat Kentucky and they're almost a shoe in. And. Here yeah, I think it was with West Rucker where we were talking that that was pretty much the game that they had, had to, win. to win. 
90%. And they won it. <laughs> so also Auburn, uh, there are some names popping up in the Auburn search. And, and some of them make no sense. Some of them make no sense. Some of them are interesting. Uh, one of them is obvious, and he didn't say no when asked about it. So there's that. Well, anyway. Why would you, whoever it is? That's well, Lane Kiffin. I ask him, are you interested? He's like, you know, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff during the season. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that <laughs> went over well in Oxford. That's not a no. No, no. no it's well, not. it could have been worse. He could have said Pine Box. So. <laughs> the last guy who said, I'm absolutely not leaving, left. left. So <laughs> yeah, maybe not a no is the best possible answer you can give at Oxford. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the last guy that went from Ole Miss to Auburn – did pretty well. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, heck, you go from college football to senator, that's <laughs> – and probably would have been governor had he ran six he years ago. Yet, I don't guess, but yeah. Um, well, why would you come – why would you go be governor if you're a senator? Shoot, it's a lot easier up there. Shoot. It's, it's <laughs> very odd. Anyway. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We've got a lot to get to. In fact, we've got a great top story that is talked about odd and wild. Uh, we'll start with Wild and Wacky. Yes, we will. But before we do that, we're going to give you yesterday's results and today's schedule on The Rundown. This is The Rundown. In Major League Baseball action last night, Lance McCullers tipping pitches? Maybe, maybe not. But the Phillies hit five home runs and a 7 nothing win over the Astros to take a 2-1 lead in the World Series. Um, oh, what have we done here? Uh, in college football action, Ball State defeated Kent State 27-20, and Ohio defeated Buffalo 20, I'm sorry, 45 to 24. Women's basketball action, it was MTSU in an um, exhibition game defeating UT Southern 114 to 43, and Murray State with a 71-36 win over Bethel. Also in National League, uh, National Hockey League play, use that term loosely. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers destroyed the Predators. It was finally 7-4, but I think it was it was 5-1 at one point, right? Yeah, so Preds aren't playing very well right Not now. Not for long, though. It got to 5-2 really quick after the 5-1. Oh, did it? Okay. Well, <laughs> it was like three minutes later, but it was still 5-1. <laughs> well, good, good. I'm glad that there was some improvement there at uh, any rate. It is not good. Today's schedule, NBA action. The Grizzlies are at the Trailblazers. They'll just play one this time around <laughs> nine o'clock tonight tip on Bally sports Southeast men's basketball action Fisk out of Nashville. If you are not aware of Fisk university, you should be uh, well, considering they're coached by Kenny Anderson. I, I mean, this is, this is going to be an interesting ball game. Mm -hmm. Fisk is going up to Austin P for a 7 PM tip ESPN. Plus we played Fisk when I was at Huntingdon and it was fun. I, we came up here. It's the only time in my life that I ever had White Castle, and it was that White Castle right there off the Demunbrian exit. Terrible. <laughs> Absolutely mm. terrible. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> Major League Baseball action tonight. Game four, Astros at Phillies. Again, the Phillies lead this series 2-1. to one. It'll be a first pitch at 7.03 on Fox. College football action tonight. More action for your viewing pleasure. 6 o'clock kickoffs on ESPNU and ESPN2 on the U at Central Michigan at Northern Illinois and Bowling Green hosts Western Michigan on the Deuce. And that is today's rundown. 
Mo, today's top story comes from the National Football League. It's the opening kickoff here on Main Street Sports today. As Daniel Snyder has hired Bank, Bank of America's securities team to explore selling the Washington football team, also known as the Commanders. Are you surprised? I am. I am because I felt like this would be a kicking and screaming type scenario that would bring this about. And I don't know if somebody just got in his ear that he would listen to or, or how this has come about, but I did not think Daniel Snyder would willingly cede ownership of the Washington football team. And I mean, I don't know. It seems to be some question as to um, whether this is going to be a piece of yeah. the team or pieces of the team or the, or entire, the entire team thing. that's being sold. So it, through a team statement, I'm reading off CNN, through a team statement on Wednesday, Snyder and his wife Tanya announced that they have hired Bank of America Securities to consider potential transactions. Basically, you know, if anybody's out there, contact them. Mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see how much, uh, how much people think it's worth. Whatever it's worth, it will be worth more when somebody else owns it. Well, that's probably not untrue. The Snyders remain committed to the team, all of its employees, and its countless fans to putting the best product on the field and continuing the work to set the gold standard for workplaces in the NFL. Wait. That's in the team statement? You heard me. I did not stutter. Daniel, sir. You can't make this up, Mo. Attorneys Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz, who represent more than forty former for, who represent more than forty former employees, accusing Snyder of workplace improprieties, in a statement called "The Possible Sale a Good Development for the Team, Its Former and Current Employees, and Its Many Fans." We will have to see how this <laughs> we will have to see how this unfolds, but this could obviously be a big step toward healing and closure for the many brave women and men who came forward. So there are so many things you could have said. That's not one of them. That's not one of them. I don't know why you would. Um why would you even bring that into the conversation knowing what's out there? Well, and knowing what the reaction to is it going is to going be. to be, just kind of whistle past the graveyard on that one, and hopefully nobody else brings it up. But since you brought it up first, now you that you've now you've on. opened that box. They finna drag you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what's fixing that. Are and I don't think me? they're gonna wait. You know, my so. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You you cannot it's, make it's up. like it's like when you put something like that in that release, it's like you're saying, drag me, please. It, that's think? exactly what it is. He's begging you. Because and 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 there will be no shortage of people willing to say, okay, bet. As, as you <laughs> like to at say. least 40. Yeah. <laughs> or countless. 
countless like there, fans. Yeah, you have countless fans. Well, we have <laughs> countless folks just waiting. Mm-hmm. Twitter is a cesspool, Daniel. Do you not know what is out there? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, so so we're crazy we'll, people. We'll see how that goes. That right. is insane. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> It would be interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have to interrupt the story of the day because I'm reading a, a tweet here, scrolling through Twitter, as we are wont to do. Um, I guess there was UT access today, and somebody asked Cedric Tillman how he was injury-wise. He said he's good. They said, put it on a scale of 1 to 100. He said, feels like 98. It's a great tweet. <laughs> That is a great quote, by the way. Cedric Tillman for the win. Mm-hmm. I would just like to, to, to point that out. Yeah. You got that from at Zay Duck? Yeah. Yeah. I, it just happened to be on top of my Twitter as well right now. But, yeah, that is a – Cedric Tillman, kudos, my well, friend. Well played, sir. Well, well played. played. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, tw- uh, Taylor Lewan is twin- trending. Twinding. He's twinding. Twin- twinding? <laughs> Taylor Lewan is twinding what now? Uh, I don't know mm. why I can't talk, but sure. <laughs> I have no idea why he's trending, mm-hmm. but uh, other than his, apparently he had an interesting costume. On, on yeah, tons of other folks. I wonder if at all. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990. Or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T ball to college for 50 plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931 388 8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. <laughs> 
Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731 and schedule your tour today. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes! Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in Tennessee. Because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries, and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. As soon as we went to break, of course, it's like every time I start talking, the internet must not want to hear what I've got to say. And I have no idea if, if you can hear us or not, folks. But uh, if you can, we'd like to welcome in Heather Williams of WCYB-TV to talk a little NASCAR. Heather, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Oh, We're look at something it. to uh, counteract uh, Mo there. This, 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 oh, this good Lord. Look at this. <laughs> look look at you. I mean, I'm it, I'm not shocked, but I'm... Um, the audacity, the audacity, the audacity is a little, um, I'm, I'm, I'm we're going to, we're going to indulge you though, because, <laughs> because we like you. We How like you. You, know but, you do this, you do this week, this week oh, going to happen. I, I guess in, in retrospect, should've you're right. I should have known. <laughs> this, this is my fault. Yeah, this is my fault entirely. I mean, you wore the two-tone blue. And I did not, I did not intentionally wear the two-tone blue. It just worked oh, out okay. that way. No, this was not intentional. That the, the sign is. behind you also not intentional. No, no, that's that's, that's totally intentional. <laughs> okay, yeah, because yeah. the the only way to cover up that wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness I mean, gracious! Look, as a long-suffering Chiefs fan who suffered through Tyler Palco and all of the amazing other no-name oh, quarterbacks that have come goodness. through. That was an Alabama Croyle. Yeah, there Bernie we go. Croyle. Bernie <laughs> Croyle, by the way, owns the distinction of being the man with the most NFL starts to not get a win. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. And we okay. suffered through that. So I am very much enjoying the last four or five years. As well you should. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've, in a baseball sense, I've kind of – been in a similar situation so i mean i i get it i don't have a problem with it um but but you can certainly understand ut fans of late as well oh for sure didn't for tyler sure. bray play for the chiefs though? tyler bray did play yeah. well he was on the team i'm not sure how much playing he was not sure how much playing if you want to talk about good <laughs> balls that played there let's go dustin colquitt or maybe Eric um, Berry, Eric Berry, or uh, Smith, the uh, offensive lineman that's oh, here yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah Tyler would not. Ball. Tyler would not be in that conversation. No, no, no. he would not. Yeah, no. I don't know that he ever got off the practice squad. <laughs> oh, so it's a big week for you with that Sunday night football game. Um, I don't, I don't know that we're worthy of 
the spirit that you have for that game right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see well, how it goes. Well, I will say this. The Titans, for whatever reason, have been an absolute thorn in the Chiefs' side. And on years where the Chiefs were absolutely the favorites in the game, it has not worked out that way. So um, I'm not overly confident about this game. Excited, yes, but... Man, the Titans, like the like the Colts, who got us earlier this year, those are one of those teams that just always seem to, no matter what, be a problem for the Chiefs. I think the Titans have an innate way, and I think it starts with Mike Vrabel, of just ugling up a game enough that they can keep themselves in it. I think that's kind of been the key for them. Um, clearly, we don't want to get too far off in the woods with Titans <laughs> Chiefs, but well, we can talk that. But, you know, Chris, Andy Reid is like one in – Eight or one and nine against, against the, the Titans? Titans. Yeah, it's All something time, ridiculous. It's bad. Yeah, oh, it's something ridiculously bad. So, like wow. I said, I don't want to get excited. There are you. You have a number of people that could come on this show, by the way, and speak far more intelligently about the Titans and Chiefs than but me. But not about the Chiefs. <laughs> you at least not, not about the. Yeah, that's probably that's probably fair. But yeah. uh, I mean, that's not why you have me. I just wanted to. I had to rib mo a little bit. Ah, me. Um, Heather, Chris, um, showed us the clip from this past weekend and I had not seen it. And have you ever seen anything like that? No, it doesn't look real. It looks like a scene out of cars. People are, are tweeting that, that beam of the, of Lightning McQueen going up on the wall to make the pass in the movie cars because, no. The, I, okay, so I was at the race. I did not see it live because I was following from the winner, Christopher Bell, going across the start-finish line with my camera and getting that celebration. Then I hear the crowd, like, erupt. And I'm like, what's going on? Who's fighting? What's happening? I mean, because that's where your mind goes at Martinsville. And then I heard what happened, and I did. we did all the interviews. I sat on my computer, and I looked at the video, and I honestly thought it was, like, sped up. Like, it doesn't look real. The fact that he's able to go that much faster. He was moving at a pace that was almost a second and a half faster than the qualifying speed from the day before for the top qualifier. I mean, it was just insane. And no, I it's, it's, long story short, no, I've never seen anything like that. It, it's one of those things like the pass of the grass and one hot night. And uh, have you ever, no, I've never with uh, Kurt Busch and, and, uh, and Ricky Craven, that's going to be talked about forever in NASCAR. But in retrospect, though, Heather, and again, clearly I'm not the NASCAR guy that either you or Chris is. But in retrospect, are you surprised that no one has done it sooner? No. I mean, I when, we, when I talked to the drivers, most of the drivers said, well, we knew this would probably work, but nobody ever had the guts to do it. I mean, his car, it, it, it's kind of a combination of guts, of of opportunity, of circumstance. I mean, his car- Of desperation? Destroyed. Yeah. I mean, his car's destroyed, right? So you have to be in a part of the situation, especially when cars are at a premium, that you know you're not going to need that car the rest of the year, right? You also have to be in a, you have to do something, right? He, If he didn't do this, he was not going on to the championship course. So he was completely desperate. So it was just- you know, a little bit of like guts and opportunity meeting each other. And Ross is one of the few drivers that would actually do that just because of his personality. Not a lot of guys, even some of the guys that you think are the craziest guys in the garage area 
they would still never do that. And they would admit to you, if you asked them today, that they would probably not try that. Because, I mean, there is a little bit of danger that was what he did. But, you know, Ross doesn't care. <laughs> he just does it. And so um, it made for a very memorable moment. Well, and, and I know that I'm no physicist, you're no physicist, but what, how, how does that work? I mean, is it just when you're up against the wall and going that fast? I mean, that, how does it kind of takes a steering element out of it because right, the wall steering. is going to take you wherever yeah, you're he's, going. He's riding the wall and he's in fifth gear. Um, I heard a segment with Daniel yep. Suarez that said that they were in third and fourth gear of everybody else. So he's, he's, literally going faster than everyone else. He's not worrying about the steering because he's up against the wall. Um, I'm not going to go anywhere. I mean, right. I, I get that. Yeah. Just, just keep it. Just, just stay on the wall. Keep it on the wall. Yeah. That is, it just, it's interesting to me. How, how I mean, if you really want to know, like understand the real physics of it, there's a great segment on the Sirius XM radio broadcast. I'm sure it's on the podcast Speedway with Dave Moody. NBC sports has a, a, a scientist that breaks down the science of NASCAR and she was on the show yesterday, I believe, breaking down exactly scientifically how that worked. And to be honest with you, she'd probably do a way better job of explaining it than me. Uh, and it was really interesting just to hear her talk about the intricacies of why that would work and why it may not work all the time or in other, other places, too. So um, they put their podcast online. You can check that out. Uh, and it's really fascinating. So uh, did he have to beat Hamlin to the line or did he just have to get two spots from where he was? No, he didn't have to beat Hamlin to the line, but he ended up beating him. He did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he only needed to pick up two spots. Okay. And I think he ended up passing something like 12 cars in five spots in the last, in the last two turns. And, I mean, it, it's incredible when you walk, when I walked out and I took a picture, but it does not do it justice. When, when you walked out of Martinsville, there was a black stripe that started in turn three and went all the way around the track into turn one where his car just rode up against the wall. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It's phenomenal. I, again, never seen anything like it. It, it was, and like you said, memorable moment, that moment will be talked about in NASCAR for a long, long time, no matter what happens uh, on Sunday in Phoenix says, but, but Ross Chastain, Putting himself into the <laughs> into the championship. Where, where were you when Ross Chastain wrote the wall at Martinsville? Right. I, I mean, as you know, when you watched it as it was happening, and or even moments after it happened, like you said, it was quite literally unbelievable. And yeah. those moments are few and far between in all sports. It you know, it's just it's it's I like mean, it's Doug kind of Mary. Or, it's kind of the equivalent of a. Hail Mary or a last second shot at, at the March Madness. I mean, yep. it's that kind of implications and that kind of, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, and it is exactly that because it put him into the championship race. I mean, and that I think is, and, and the disappointment in Denny, in Denny Hamlin's voice when he just said, I guess we lost on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah, yeah unfortunate Denny, you to did. hear. Yeah. You know, I have to say, though, I, I was pretty impressed with the way that Denny handled the whole thing. Everything yeah. that's gone on with Denny and with Ross all year long, it would have been very easy for him to have taken the road that a lot of the other drivers didn't talk about um, calling the move embarrassment or we can't have this anymore or that's not the way you win a championship. And Denny just decided not to do that. He's like, 
you know, I, I, I'm assuming what you're referring to is a TV interview. I talked to maybe 15 minutes after that when they let the local media and, and some of the national now this was media. A, this was on his uh, on his radio. His radio. His crew. OK. In, okay. car, in car radio. Well, when, yeah. when we were talking to him afterwards, I mean, he was like, he's, he was basically like, you know, he tried it. His, he, he, it worked. Hats off to him. You know, he did what he had to do to advance. I mean, he didn't talk about, well, he shouldn't be here or he still got one coming to him or any of that kind of stuff. He was just like, well, you know, he found a way to get it done. And so I was, I was pretty impressed with that. I think that, Maybe some of the things that happened with his driver a couple of weeks ago um, caused Denny to also have some introspection and to, and, to, and to look at how he behaves in the heat of the moment. And I think that that has made him mature as well, not just oh. not just Bubba, but Denny as well. We'll take that. <laughs> because like you said, he certainly had his moments as well. Well, Ross, to be fair, Ross played into that. Oh, no. And Ross I, no. doesn't look like he's changed at all. <laughs> Listen, Ross Ross Chastain has zero regard. Yeah, he is he is his own man. He's gonna he's gonna do his thing, <laughs> and you know, results and whatever happens happens. And I'm I'm just here for a good time well, kind of thing. And if, if and, you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing, right? And well, I mean, you know, the, from Ross' perspective, how else can you be? He was no. the guy that ran as a back marker for years, you know, sure. starting parks and, 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 and running around 20 laps down and all that kind of stuff. And now he is running for a championship. That kid is going to enjoy every single second of this. As he should. Yeah. And, and then who can blame him? I mean, right. I, I, I've known Ross for a long time and it's an incredible story. If he wins this thing on Sunday and we don't get invited to the track house racing uh, party, we're gonna have problems we, we because are. when when you guys get invited to the Trackhouse Racing Party during Champions Week, um, I'm gonna expect you to hook the girl up. No, absolutely, no question. <laughs> because there's, there's, in fact, it might be the other. It might have to be the other way around. You probably got a little more street cred in NASCAR than we do. Well, yeah, I. So, we should have more no, track house cred. Though. You have the track house cred. I don't really know anyone <laughs> other than Ross and track house. Um, and as, as I've known Ross for a long time, but I would not say that Ross and I are like tight <laughs> or anything. I don't have his phone number. So um, we yeah, got Ty Norris's phone number. Maybe exactly. we need to go ahead and put that call in to Ty now. <laughs> Ty, listen, don't Just, forget us when this thing goes, we go. goes north. Because listen, does Ross Chastain have a chance to win at Phoenix? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This thing is as wide open as it has ever been. Now, if you were, I, I, I made our picks in my TV show, which actually had to be delayed until tomorrow because of the rain out in baseball, but um, <laughs> screwed up our newscast for the whole week. But um, if you ask me to handicap it and pick a winner, I'm picking Christopher Bell purely on momentum. He has two walk-off wins in each of the rounds and despite some bad luck has run the most consistently in the playoffs, but this is 2022. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, so many crazy things have happened. Precedent consistency, none of that matters. And all four of these drivers are the kind of guys that are desperate enough that they would do something. I talked about, there's very few guys in the garage area that would do something like Ross. All four of these guys, Chase Elliott being the least of which, 
would do, definitely do this. But Joey, Christopher, and Ross, they'd wreck their mama to win. I mean, they're they're that crazy. So um, I think it's going to be a great weekend of racing. Actually, between all three of the series, I think it's as wide open as you've ever seen. And I, I think Phoenix is going to be phenomenal. That being said, Phoenix is a unique uh, a unique place for a championship, to say the least. But I think this is one of those this is one of those races where, you know, sometimes you want to go with the person who can deal with the pressure. And to me, that that screams like it fits the twenty two and the nine more than anybody. You say that, but what Christopher Bell twice under pressure won. That's true. In this postseason. So, and, and Ross under pressure, you know, did that crazy thing. So, yes, there's experience in the 22 and the 9 for sure. They've been there, done that. They both have championships. Um, but the two young guys, I mean, Christopher Bell's crew chief is a two-time champion crew chief with, with Kyle Busch. So, he's been there, done that as well. That's why I'd say it's just, it's so wide open. You look at what's on paper and you say, oh, well, this is easy. I'm going with the 22. And then you look and go, but, 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 and then all of a sudden you've talked yourself into all four guys. <laughs> That's <laughs> because a case can be made for each of them. For sure. For sure. And, and this and year's been so crazy and the cars are so much even more even than they've ever been. And all four of these guys are very hungry for different reasons. What makes Phoenix a good place for a championship? Well, it's a short track. It's a mile track. It's kind of a combination between a short track and an intermediate track. But it races probably a little bit more like a short track. And the, the drivers love it. It's very challenging. All the all the corners are a little bit different. The straightaways are different because you've got a traditional straightaway on the back stretch. And then you've got um, a, a trioval on the front stretch, which is kind of unusual for a short track as well. Um, and, of course, I mean... The best reason, the weather. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those places where you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, weather. It was kind of gross. It would never rained or anything, but it was overcast and kind of cool in Martinsville this last weekend. Uh, it snowed when we were there in the spring. And those are the kinds of things you don't really have to worry about in Phoenix. So I think the combination of all of those things makes Phoenix a really good place to end the season. Well, you've already given us your pick mm -hmm. of Christopher Bell, but... You know, how confident are you? Not very, <laughs> not, not very at all. Um, I mean, the reason that I say Christopher is I think he's been the most consistent um, of the drivers all year. But I mean, like I said, I could talk myself into all all four drivers. Um, I probably would. I honestly would probably pick Ross second, and then Joey, and then Chase. I think Chase has just not been very consistent. Like he's just kind of skated through the whole playoffs on his regular season championship and using those points. And I just don't feel like that team has the momentum right now. The other three teams are very close, very, very close. But I just, I just have a feeling about Seabell. Like I I've been wrong all year, so I wouldn't go to Vegas or anything about it, but um, I just like the way that that team's running and the fact that they have a two time champion crew chief leading the way. There you go. Looking forward to it. So explain for those of for, for those who maybe aren't used to NASCAR and don't understand. Yeah. 
Explain for me. Explain how you win the championship. It's very simple, but yeah, finish the highest of the four guys that are in it. (laughs) You don't have to win it. The four, yeah, you don't have to win. You just have to be the highest. Now, during the playoff, during the playoff era, era, the champion has won every race, which is incredible to think about when there are thirty six guys in a race. But um, you don't have to win to win the championship. You just have to be the highest finisher of the four that are in the championship. I ain't got to outrun everybody. I just got to outrun you. That's it. <laughs> it's yeah, as if it. a bear is chasing mm-hmm. us. That's all I'm saying. And I'll be honest with you, this is probably the year where the champion doesn't win the race. It's, it's probably going to be of one year. of those. Yep, it's just been one of those kind of years. <laughs> so there you go. Heather Williams, WCYB TV. And uh, Heather, tell folks you know how they can listen to your podcast. I know you guys probably don't do a whole lot out of, out of season. No, not a ton. Uh, we'll, I'll do a, a podcast this week, and then I will probably get the champion at some point, so I'll probably have a, a podcast the next week. And then I'll take probably a, a couple months off with the podcast starting it back up in early January um, is when we started this year. Uh, all of the episodes are still uh, online, so you can listen to them either at our website or if you have Apple Podcasts, you can listen to them on there or Podbean. I mean, we've had each of the championship four drivers on the podcast within the last six weeks. Um, and my guest this Friday is Christopher Bell. Last week it was Ross Chastain. So um, all you have to do is go to my, to WCYB.com or to Apple um, podcasts, and you can listen to um, all the previous episodes. That's the backstretch. Yes. It's called the backstretch. Mm-hmm. Backstretch is one word for. Yes. <laughs> in case you weren't aware. <laughs> <laughs> The backstretch for, for the uninitiated, yeah. right? Yeah. For those who who may not be aware, uh, it's it's a uh, it's called the backstretch, and you can go listen to all of those uh, po- those podcasts. But uh, Heather, we will uh, we will talk to you next week and continue talking to you as much as you want to, because again, there's plenty of things we can talk about, like the Chiefs, <laughs> <laughs> and we enjoy talking to her. absolutely. We, we we may want to talk to her as the state playoffs as the playoffs progress as well because she's got some folks up there that are gonna. Bear yeah, we got a couple of teams for sure. I would say probably three teams that have a really good chance of deep playoff runs. Um, mostly smaller schools, obviously Greenville. Um, uh, Daniel Boone is undefeated in Class Five A, and then Hampton is the number one team or. At some part of the season, I think they've dropped because they've got a couple of losses now, but uh, definitely uh, ranked up there um, in, in class 2A. 2A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their two losses are to 5A Dan- uh, Daniel Boone and then a 4A school. So um, nobody in, this, in their classifications even come close to them. That's good to know. That is. Considering that- perhaps we'll see you in Chattanooga. <laughs> perhaps, now, perhaps. 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 We had two teams playing last year. Um, the representative from class 4A has come from has been either Greenville or Elizabethan for the past five years. Right. With with four win, four wins, and then uh, Elizabethan finally had that streak ended last year when they lost in the championship. But to Tullahoma, 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 yes, I'm, a really good football team, by the way. I was I was in the Sports Center video that was shown because me and Justin Lamb were on the sideline <laughs> watching of the, Chris Osselton's the, uh, interception. interception. So, yeah, yeah that's. That's that's my claim to fame at this point. I've been on ESPN on, on Sports Center once, but uh, there you go. Heather, we appreciate it as always. Yeah, if you want to see me on TV, I I make a cameo in one of the appearances of uh, Race for a Championship on USA Network. Yes, awesome. So we'll look, I've we'll been look watching the whole series, just seeing if I'll pop up in it at any point. 
and I finally <laughs> in the episode when Kyle Bush uh, when Kyle Bush uh, signed with RCR. There that's awesome. That's that's what we like to see. There you go. She's she's as famous as anyone in this room. There we go. No way. Most way more famous than me. No. We appreciate you here there as always. We can't wait to talk to you next week. Yep. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take a break. When we come back, we'll talk college football playoff ranking reactions right after this on Main Street Sports Today. This is Chris Yao with Main Street Sports Today. Every show, Mo Patton and I welcome friends from all across the sports landscape, from high school coaches and reporters to national college and pro sports personalities. You never know who might stop by for a chat. AP Tennessee Sports Editor, three-time Tennessee Sports Writer of the Year 2020 TSWA Hall of Famer. She covers the Titans, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, and hoops. Please make welcome, Teresa Walker. Former University of Tennessee, former Team USA Olympian, XI Young Award winner, R.A. Dickey. R.A., did I miss anything? Man, that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I need to listen to that before I go to bed every night. That was nice. Has five sports Emmys. That's not bad for the other guy in Wham. Ryan McGee. <laughs> <laughs> other guy Wham married the best looking girl Bananarama, so other guy Wham had pretty good life. From preps to pros, we're taking on the sports topics you care about. Tune in across Main Street Media social platforms at 2 p.m. or on demand on your podcast distribution platform of choice. Welcome back in Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao, Mo Patton, coming to you. Live from Southern Middle Tennessee here in Columbia. Glad to have you with us as we are talking a little bit of college football. Last night, the playoff rankings were released the first of the year. And we've already said it. Tennessee atop the rankings. Rocky tops the rankings. As you can see there, the top 25, Tennessee number one, Ohio State number two, Georgia number three, and Clemson, a surprising four. Have you got yesterday? Have you got yesterday's rankings in front of you? Yeah. yeah. How close did we get? Let's see. We both had Georgia. Uh, we both had UT one. Right. We both had Georgia two. I had Ohio State three, Michigan four, Alabama five. You had Michigan three, Ohio State four, Alabama five. Hmm. You had Clemson six, Oregon seven. I had TCU six, Clemson seven. You had TCU eight. I had Oregon eight. And neither of us came close to LSU at ten. Oh no, I didn't even I didn't finish up. But you had UCLA nine and USC ten. I think USC's loss is probably. I don't know how you can have Oregon at eight and Utah at 14 and have USC at nine and UCLA at 12. If I lost to the number eight team and they lost to the number 14 team, how are they ranked three spots ahead of me? It's the Pac-12 and they don't count. I mean, essentially. We're just getting them in there to get them in there. They're not going to be a factor in the playoff. The fact that they have three teams in the top 12, though, is a little crazy. But really, I seriously, I mean. And the SEC has five of 11. Five. How many of these spots 
are going to matter between now and the end of the regular season. Here's the thing. The only team outside the top seven that has a chance to be in the top four is LSU. Is LSU. That's it. Because LSU still has to play Alabama. And when if they win the SEC championship, they're in. Two losses or not. Yeah. Period. But they can really upset the apple cart for a lot of other folks because, I mean, if LSU is your SEC champion, say Georgia beats Tennessee Saturday. Say it's LSU-Georgia in the SEC championship game. LSU beats Georgia. Tennessee's still sitting there with one loss. Let me ask you this. If LSU was to win the SEC championship game. By beating Georgia, which beat Tennessee, which beat LSU. Like in drum, Baton Rouge. Like a drum. <laughs> That's one of a number of scenarios that mm. the committee doesn't want to see. I think another one is Georgia beating Tennessee, Alabama beating Georgia. That'd be brutal. They, they, they would be in trouble. But that's the only scenario I see that Tennessee doesn't get in. If they've all three got one loss and Alabama's the SEC champion, mm -hmm. I, you can't keep them out. And I don't you can't think keep you, who out? You can't keep Alabama out. Obviously. No, you can't keep Alabama out if and, Alabama wins the SEC championship. And then it's kind of like TWSAA tiebreakers. Once I get the other one, you go back to head, head to head. head. So Tennessee, just to be safe, kind of needs LSU to beat Alabama. It, it would certainly completely change the the dynamic. The dynamic. You would you would then feel like Tennessee was an all, almost a lock at that point, regardless but, of what happened Saturday. To, right to answer your question from earlier, what has to happen for Tennessee to not get in? I think obviously slip up and lose twice. That's I don't think that's going to happen. That's the obvious off the top. Lose outside to Georgia. Of that, and then outside of that, the only way is Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship. Period. Those are the only two ways. So if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, then again, you're sitting there with three one-loss SEC teams, and they've all beaten each other. Right. And Tennessee, you feel like, would be the odd team out? Because of when they the head-to-head to, head to Georgia. Because Alabama's going. Yeah, you can't, keep, you can't keep a one-loss SEC champion out. You just can't do it, especially when it's named Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's that's it. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that you've got four SEC teams in the top 10, five in the top 11. It just, that's why that's why I think that there's two SEC teams in the end going to be in the top four. Here's the thing. I don't think there's any way that there can be two SEC teams in the top four at the well, end. There can be. There's a way. How? Because if – if TCU's undefeated, Clemson's undefeated, at least either Ohio State or Michigan is going to be undefeated, and then you've got the SEC champion, and it would be you'd be, it would be the worst so possible thing to to ever happen in the playoff era if you left a 
power five undefeated champion out. You can't do it. But this season is absolutely the best possible season to advocate for a 12-team playoff, <laughs> especially if that happens. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're going to be talking about three one-loss teams out of the SEC if, if it goes that way. And an undefeated TCU – is an undefeated TCU really better than better a, better than a one loss Tennessee Georgia Alabama better? No. But can oh. you leave out an undefeated Power Five conference team? It depends on what your objective is. I understand that that's an argument. If your objective is to get the four best teams, then yes, you can. I don't now. If it's not, then tell I don't, me that. I think there's more than one objective. <laughs> I think you're right, and that's. But I mean, and, and and I agree with you that Tennessee and Georgia, with one loss, would most certainly be more deserving of a playoff. Than either particularly or per, TCU. Uh, particularly again a Tennessee that has beaten five top twenty five teams right, and so I think that's that's where you got to you've got to make that that call. You've got to say, well, is what what are we most worried about, mm -hmm. and how much backlash are we willing to take? from media and fans, et cetera. Look, if you've got three undefeated Power 5 teams and then, and potential, then potentially, four, potentially four one-loss teams out there, now Oregon would be out, obviously, because of their loss to Georgia, but you would have three additional mm -hmm. one-loss teams out there just saying we're good enough to be in. Well, here's the thing. Either LSU or Alabama is going to have two losses. LSU's already got two losses. Who else did they lose to? Florida State in the season opener. That's right. Which is the, the real kicker here. <laughs> because if they were to win the SEC championship with, with two, two losses, losses and one of those to Florida State, you can't keep Clemson out if they beat Florida State and win the, and win the ACC. Mm. So, I, that, so, so that the Florida committee, so the killer, the committee really needs Alabama to beat LSU, and Tennessee really needs LSU to beat Alabama, or or Ole Miss to beat Alabama. That could happen too, and that'd be that'd be great. Either of those two things, but an LSU SEC champ, who does that help more? Tennessee or Clemson? Both. I don't know who helps more. Depending, I mean, if they beat if they were to beat Tennessee in the SEC championship game, it's a problem. <laughs> but if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think it, I, I think it probably helps Tennessee and Clemson equally. Because again, Clemson would then be a lock. LSU 
Tennessee's win over LSU the way that they won it would almost virtually be a lock. But you can't lose. You got to lose by six points or less to Georgia to still be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. If you lose, if you lose to Georgia, Tennessee's got to lose by more than a touchdown. Now, if they do lose by more than a touchdown, I think that the the odds of them getting in drop significantly. You're needing everybody else to lose a game, including now, either Ohio State or Michigan to somebody outside of Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan. Okay, so here's the next question. As we sit here on November 2nd, and Tennessee is number one in the CFP rankings, how disappointing is it if they don't make the playoffs? As a Tennessee fan, am I disappointed? Yes. If we end up 11 and 1 with a New Year's Six Bowl, I don't care. I didn't expect to be here mm-hmm. at any point during this season. <laughs> I mean, you didn't expect to be here. You didn't expect to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. So if so if, it's if you get a New Year's Six Bowl, but you're not in the playoff, I'm fine with that. I'll take that all day long. In year two. I had Josh Tennessee Hyde. at nine and three. I had Tennessee losing to Alabama, Georgia, and either LSU or Florida to start the season. That, that, that's where I had Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They're one game away from that. <laughs> now the only way that I'm disappointed is if, at this point, if they don't finish 11 and one, right? Because right. there's no you. If, there's if no they excuse. lose to South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Missouri, or Missouri, yeah, you can't lose to any of those three. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a disappointing end of the year. I mean, Sands, Hendon, Hooker, and Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman all, all getting out, <laughs> or Brian Young, or any of those guys. Yeah. Now, so there's that. Anybody else that surprises you in here? I mean, is is there any ranking? You mean you other just, than LSU? <laughs> other than LSU, that you just go, okay, well that that's interesting. Other uh, Illinois, a seven and one Illinois. Who saw that coming, Brett Bielema? Uh, well, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the fly in the ointment as you look at it. I mean, you didn't see that coming. Matt that, Brown, that's, North that's off to Tulane. Tulane, man, heck yeah, they're only lost to Ole Miss right now. That's and solid. it was close. Mm-hmm. They almost beat them. Had they beaten them, we might be talking about Tulane in the top ten right now. Right. Yeah, UCF getting ready to claim another national championship, I guess, at hey. number 25. Gus Malzahn, baby. But, yeah, I, I think Illinois, I, I don't think anybody could have expected that. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not they are the, what? Fourth team out of the Big Ten? Yeah. So it's pretty solid. It is. It is, in fact. Um, speaking of Tennessee and Georgia, I asked this question where, where does this game rank among among one two matchups in you yeah. know, at least since 1966, regular season only. I kept out the BCS yeah, national yeah. game. Any bowl game that just make, doesn't make sense. 
But for a regular season, and there have only been four since 2000. Texas, Ohio State uh, in 06. Tech, uh, Ohio State, Michigan also in 06. And then LSU, Bama in 11 and 19. I tell you what, that LSU-Alabama game in 11 was as good a regular season game as you will ever see. And I if Tennessee-Georgia can come close to that, then it'll be a heck of a ball game. It should be a great ball game. But that was just edge of your seat or standing up for 60 minutes, no matter where you were. I mean, I was at some friend's house watching, and I think most of us stood up the whole time. It was just incredible. So It was great to watch. Yeah. A um, couple others I have highlighted here. 93, Sean Wooden batting down Charlie Ward's pass as Notre Dame beat Florida State in South Bend. Um, that was – as as far as you know, iconic games go, that was one of them. Uh, that that ninety one wide right, wide right one, of course. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then seventy one. I obviously, I I mean, I don't know much about it, but apparently considered one of the greatest games in college football history. Nebraska beating Oklahoma thirty five thirty one down in Norman. Yeah, I think that was um, Johnny Rogers. I think was a running back for Nebraska. And I think Joe Washington was the the big Oklahoma running back. And I think they just kind of went back and forth all game in that one. But as far as, you know, hype goes, I think the college football playoff ranking is diminishing it a little bit. This does not have the same feel as 11 had with Alabama LSU. You don't think? Well, reason being is because everybody kind of expected that all year long. Everybody expected Alabama LSU to meet November 5th and it just be a dogfight. Everybody knew that it was going to be, you know, game of the century. It had been that way for three or four weeks leading up to it. And I think Tennessee kind of coming out of the out of nowhere, it doesn't have that. We didn't have the off-season build up to this mm -hmm. game. We didn't have the in-season build up to this game. You've just got so many things that didn't quite build up. Right. I mean, obviously, a lot of folks are talking about it because it has major implications. But here's the thing: Georgia has to win this game, or they're done. Their season's over. If Georgia loses this game, they cannot win the college football playoff. Period. They will have a grand total of one top twenty-five win. win. Now they'll go New Year six, maybe. Yeah, because I mean, if if Tennessee beats Georgia, then Tennessee is going to win the SEC East. Even if Tennessee loses in the SEC championship game, that's going to be their first loss, mm -hmm. and they will still have beaten Georgia. So. So yeah, there's there's no road, really. Georgia and, and, cannot play its way back in. Oh, now, what if Tennessee beats Alabama in the SEC championship game? Then Alabama's got two think, losses. I still don't think Georgia has a resume outside of a, a one-loss Georgia that did not play in its 
conference championship game. Their resume just doesn't hold up. Yeah. And I can see that. It just uh, – the only way would be if Oregon was the number five team and that's the team that they were fighting to get in that last spot for. They'd have to have a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. They'd have to have Clemson lose and have TCU lose. You know, you'd have to have a lot of things happen in order for, to, for them to get yeah. back in. Yeah. But it would be a – they could not play themselves back in is my point. Right. They'd, they'd have, have – somebody else have to play their way out. So That makes sense. Anyway. Oh, by the way, that was – um. Greg Pruitt, not Joe Washington for uh-huh. Oklahoma in that ball game. But yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll continue talking college football on the other side of it with the athletic senior writer David Ubbin. He'll join us. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. This holiday season, the largest lantern event in the country returns to Nashville Zoo. After sunset, come see more than 1,000 Chinese lanterns. All new designs, including mythical beasts, a fantastical North Pole village, even a dragon soaring over your head. Welcome back to Zoo Illumination at Nashville Zoo. Bigger, brighter, and better than ever. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries, and our orthoquick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back in Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao and Mo Patton here on this Wednesday edition. It's a wild and wacky Wednesday, the weirdest and wildest news from across the world and Florida coming your way right after this next segment. But right now, we dive into some more College football, as we are joined by senior writer for The Athletic, David Ubbin. David, what's going on, buddy? Not much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thank you for joining us, David. Um, Did not know how the first college football playoff rankings were going to go when we reached out to you, but did feel like Tennessee was going to be in the top four, not necessarily number one. But, I mean, um, as – as you took in more information and started to look at the situation with more clear eyes, there really was no other number one right out of the box. Was there? No, I mean, I I thought it was pretty clear um, that the resume has been the best. I I, I think, uh, you know, the human polls are always interesting because unlike the committee, you know, the human polls, everybody kind of does it differently. So I think, most people probably wouldn't disagree that Tennessee has the best resume, but that's not how all, all the voters vote. And they sort of have their own, you know, sort of philosophies. But I do know, you know, we've had, what, eight years of eight, seven seasons of data for how the committee uh, handles it. So I thought it was pretty clear Tennessee was going to be number one. I was actually surprised that it seemed to be closer. Um, you know, I, I was on the call last night and asked Boo Corrigan about how far the gap is between one, two, and three. And they said they had some pretty lively discussion between Tennessee, Ohio State, and Georgia. That actually surprised me. Um, but, you know, they use a lot of advanced numbers. Um, they use a ton of metrics. Uh, it's The process is uh, convoluted and more complicated than it probably needs to be. <laughs> no. Just in general to, yeah, just in general to get a top 20. I, I think, you know, I, I hope some more educated fans understand that it's not 13 people. 
that are submitting a top 25 poll and it's a slim down poll. It's a, there's teams and pools and then they rank teams against each other. It's very complicated. I wrote about it if you want to seek, seek it out, but it's, it's a complicated process, but either way, um, you know, ultimately I, I thought it was pretty clear. Tennessee was going to be number one. I was surprised that it didn't seem like, uh, probably everybody in the room agreed from what I, from what it sounds like. I think, and, and I mentioned this when Chris and I were talking earlier this week, I think a lot of Tennessee fans probably felt like they should be number one, but also having gone through battered ball syndrome for as long as they have, <laughs> they, they probably weren't really ready to believe it until they actually saw it last night. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's the question is, you know, who's the best team in the country, right? I think there's a lot of fair debate about that. I think you could talk me into a handful of teams. Um, but at some point, and this is where I think the committee does a lot of good things is that, you know, you, you, some people don't, so don't believe it. And the eye test does factor in some. Um, and I think that the committee, which I actually think is kind of weird that they prefer more balanced teams. So if you have a team where their metrics are kind of out of whack, um, like Tennessee's are a little bit where their offensive numbers kind of outpace their defensive numbers, you know, Oklahoma has been dinged for that in the past. TCU was dinged for that uh, in 2014, going back there. If you're not balanced, they don't, they kind of are kind of weird about it. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, it can't just be about, well, who's the team that I think is the best at the end of the day, you have to go by what they actually did. And when, what Tennessee has done over the first two months of the season is have the best set of wins um, of anybody. Um, you know, you look at Florida, LSU, Pitt, um, Alabama, of course, and uh, you know, Kentucky last week. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive and <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see because this is important for Tennessee, especially if they lose this weekend, it'll be interesting to see if Florida, and Kentucky can uh, uh, win some games late. Maybe Pitt win some games late. Maybe a couple of those teams sneak into the top 25 to bolster your resume because the committee does look at top 25 wins, top 40 wins a little bit as well. But top 25 wins do mean a lot. And they don't care about anybody else's poll. They care about their poll. Um, and that's what matters. And it matters at the moment in time, not when you beat them. Unless, you know, like if you beat, you know, if Bryce Young, you know, uh, is out for the season tomorrow. They're not going to devalue Tennessee's win, you know, on the back end of that. Um, they make some 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 differentiation for injuries and some conditions and stuff. But they, if I'm a Tennessee fan, especially if I lose, you know, if you win on Saturday, it's going to be hard for you not to make the playoff, regardless of what happens. But if Tennessee loses on Saturday, you know, it helped them a lot if Florida and Kentucky and Pitt would win some ball games down the stretch. David Ubbins, senior writer for The Athletic, joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Um, David, before you ascended to your current position, you covered the University of Tennessee for The Athletic. Mm -hmm. Did you have any thought that in year two of Josh Heupel, we'd be having this discussion? No, because... I'm a big believer in Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio, and it takes a long time to build a program. You can, you know, peak and maybe get in the top five of the rankings or have a nice run and, and do all those things. But for Tennessee to do what they're doing this year, where they look like a real national championship contender, and I had a piece in the Athletic today talking to a bunch of coaches around the uh, league and teams and guys that have played uh, against um, Georgia and, and Tennessee. 
And nobody really was was skeptical of Tennessee. Um, for them to do that, you know, their blue, their their twenty four seven sports talent composite rating is nineteen right now. Um, they are not included in the blue chip ratio. So for them to be in the playoff hunt, they are bucking a lot of trends. And I think you can you can um, you know point to the offensive system for one. You can point to Hendon Hooker ascending to be the kind of guy that, you know, he hadn't to the point to this point in his career, you know, before kind of last year shown an ability to, to do um, or to be this guy, but he is. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, I don't think so. And I think it's just because the level of talent that they have, and I think they're, their top 22 is pretty good. They don't have the depth that Alabama and Georgia and some of these other teams have. Um, but, I would say I definitely am surprised because their level of talent, you know, we, we have a good couple decades of, of, uh, of data that Tennessee is bucking right now, a uh, pretty hard line trends that Tennessee is bucking. And that is pretty amazing. I, I would, I, I think that's the thing that most Tennessee fans, most rational Tennessee fans, and there are some out there, <laughs> they're few and far between, but there are some, but most rational Tennessee fans would tell you that, that, they didn't expect this either, and it's because of those exact things. And mm-hmm. look, I, you know, we're kind of enjoying this ride right now. If you're if you're a fan of of Tennessee football, now outside of that, and we just talked, we just kind of gone through the the twenty five, uh, you know, top twenty five ranking. But you know, how how important is the SEC championship game? when you're talking about potentially undefeated TCU, undefeated Clemson, undefeated Ohio state or Michigan, you know, if that happens, is the sec champion, the only sec team that can get in? Well, it depends on who wins that game. I think ultimately Um, you look at how this is going to shake out. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't control what TCU does or if Clemson drops a game, they'll have to play uh, probably North Carolina in the ACC championship. It looks pretty unlikely that they'll lose anybody before then TCU. I mean, their game control has been really bad this year. I think they will be in some dogfights the last month of the season. They've got, you know, Texas and Baylor. Uh, I think both of those might be on the road. If I recall, Um, those are going to be tough games for them. So they got to win those. You know, they certainly can win those games, but they've been in so many tight games. You know, we'll see. Ohio State-Michigan will sort itself out. Certainly whoever loses that game will be sitting there with a pretty good case for inclusion as well. So it'll depend on how many undefeateds you have standing there at the end. But ultimately, you know, if Alabama wins the SEC championship um, after losing to Tennessee, but they go and uh, obviously they'll have wins over LSU – uh, in theory, that have wins over uh, Ole Miss in theory, and then of course closing it with a win over Georgia or Tennessee. You know they're getting in. Uh, that's pretty obvious at this point. Um, and so, you know, but if you're sitting there and if you're Georgia, uh, you know, I, ultimately whoever wins this Tennessee Georgia game, I think can still you know as long as they get under get their undefeated, they can lose the SC championship and they'll still get in. Um, but you know, at the end of the day the loser of, of Georgia, Tennessee, if Georgia loses on Saturday, it's going to be really, really hard for them to get in because they'll drop out and they don't have a, a, a game at the end of the, that, the last month of the season that can help you move up. You need a ton of help. If you're Georgia, if you're Tennessee, obviously you're starting at number one, you have better wins. You have some wins. Like I mentioned before, Kentucky, Florida, uh, LSU or LSU can, and, uh, and Pitt that might get better as the season uh, progresses, depending on how those teams perform. 
Georgia doesn't have quite the same resume, and, and Georgia, you know, can fall a little further. So if Alabama wins, the SEC is going to get two teams in, period. Um, but if, you know, if Georgia wins uh, the SEC championship uh, over Alabama uh, and Tennessee's sitting there and they've lost on Saturday and they're sitting there at 11-1, they're going to have a really strong case, and it's going to be close. That's going to be a really nervous Sunday for Tennessee fans. And it'll depend on, again, what else, you know, everything else that shakes out. You know, or do you have a, a one-loss uh, Ohio State or a Michigan team sitting there? You know, are TCU and Clemson still undefeated? Um, what does that look like? So you can't really control all that. But ultimately, I, I still think the SEC is a pretty good position to get multiple teams in. You have three right now that, that have pretty strong uh, position that they can kind of control. And Alabama can beat, you know, Tennessee and Georgia, certainly. And, of course, you know, if – yeah, uh, I mean, if you're in the SEC championship, you miss Tennessee. You're feeling pretty good, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it, it so. I, I want to get off of this briefly. So tell me, Mo, if you want to continue on Tennessee, because we wanted to talk a little bit about the Auburn coaching situation, and we didn't get the chance to to dive into it. But there have been some names that have been rumored, and I know, you know, you're covering all of college football, and Auburn right now is a lot to deal with. So if you're keeping up with it, I know you're busy, but uh, Matt rule is a name that I'm hearing has uh, mutual interest between he and the, uh, the, the staff there at Auburn. You've got obviously Lane Kiffin, uh, Hugh freeze has been mentioned several names out there. Deion Sanders, how big of a name does Auburn have to hire for this to work? Uh, I'm going to cop out and say it doesn't matter because everybody hated Tennessee's hire. If you get the guy, I mean, it, <laughs> you, you, you like people, the idea of the splash hire, how many more guys do we need to see Tom Herman, Scott Frost, um, you know, how many more guys we need to see that are splashy and they're the hottest new name and they don't work out. You need the right guy for the right situation. Um, I am very skeptical that Matt rule would seriously consider taking an sec job. I know him a little bit and you know, I, I think he would have some interest in going back to Texas, but I think certainly, you know, big 10 country, something along those lines is a lot more. I think what he would probably be looking for if he has his pick and we'll see Wisconsin slash Nebraska. Maybe, but I think if you're, um, you know, if you're Wisconsin or Nebraska, I think you put the full court press on Lance Leipold. That's what I would do. I don't think you can do worse than that, um, you know, for, for those two guys. Um, if I'm if I'm Auburn, I'm putting the full court press on Lane Kiffin and seeing what happens. The Dion piece of it, man, the risk reward is really really high. You know, I I, I think Dion is, you know. At the end of the day, what he's done at Jackson State and his ability to bring talent there is is unimpeachable. But I also lived in Dallas in the middle of the prime prep saga and saw how badly that went. <laughs> and that was unbelievable. I mean, that was just pure, like, scam. So, I, I you know, he's a guy that is certainly, you know, talk about splashy hires. I mean, I think your risk-reward is pretty high. But it's a talent acquisition game. And if you're getting the number one player in the country to come play for you at Jackson State, I mean, that's wild. That is wild stuff. Now, can he do that uh, somewhere else? And can he be as successful on the field when you compare what the talent that he has at Jackson State 
to the teams that they're playing and, and the other HBCUs, it's really not close. They have a lot more talent than anybody else. And, and so, you know, if he goes to Auburn or anywhere else, you know, Georgia Tech, whatever you want to you know, point to, he's not going to have a huge talent gap. So can he make that up with coaching? I think we'll find out. There's certainly a lot of risk there. You know, he's not, he's not a you know, really experienced coach. Certainly he's a very experienced player. Been around the block a few times. Um, but uh, this is going to be a really interesting coaching cycle. And I think, too, you know, last year I think you learned that, you know, nobody's out of reach. Nobody saw Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley leaving jobs that nobody leaves. Nobody leaves Notre Dame. Nobody leaves Oklahoma until they do. And I also think the one thing that I would look out for as well is I'm not sure that coaches in the ACC, or I say coaches, I mean fans, in the ACC, in the Pac-12, and the Big 12 understand – you know, you're still power five in name right now, but everyone sees that this is going to be the Big Ten and the SEC's game. And if you're not in one of those two leagues, you're probably going to be dealing with having your coaches be poached, four teams in those leagues. And I think that might be, you know, from my perspective, that might be the story of the coaching carousel this year, is seeing coaches that you wouldn't expect leave from programs that are, you know, in that uh, in those three leagues that in another era might look like a lateral move or a step down. But when the money gap is so wide, you're talking about 15, 20 million dollars a year in TV money, um, you know, uh, they might leave places that you wouldn't expect. So, you know, there's all the same names bouncing around the coaching carousel. But I, I think you could have a pretty wild year from guys leaving jobs that, that you wouldn't expect. David, make me understand. Why Lane Kiffin would leave a relatively serene existence at Ole Miss to jump into whatever there is at Auburn? I wouldn't, I think. Uh, but you have to try and make him if you're Auburn. You know, I think that's the deal. Um, if I'm uh, Lane Kiffin, I'm probably not wanting to get in the middle of that because I think, you know, Auburn hasn't had a ton of turnover. But, like, Gus Malzahn – I think that'd be the only coach to be on the hot seat for like six years after going to the national championship in year. I think that was year one. Wasn't it? If I recall. It was. And like, so, you know, they might not have turnover, but it seems like the stress level and the, uh, uh, just the experience and quality of life coaching at Auburn seems like not something that I would particularly want to do. Whereas Lane, obviously, you know, with the last two seasons and what he's done, he's built up a tremendous amount of capital at Ole Miss. And I think that means something. So if I'm Lane, I'm sitting and waiting and seeing if there's a job that I really want. But if I'm Auburn, I'm putting the full court press on him and saying, we got to get this guy. That's who'd be number one on my list personally. It's interesting. It I, really is. And it's going to be interesting. I think Lane Giffen doesn't want to go too far from Oxford, maybe about an hour and a half southeast. And well, then going to Auburn does not accomplish does not help you that <laughs> does not help you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. No, so because, no. <laughs> if if, if that's what he wants, if Tuscaloosa is your ultimate goal, you can't go to Auburn. Then he's just got to cool out at at Oxford <laughs> for now. Chill I for a while. Yeah, but uh, my thing is. As you look at this Auburn situation, I'm afraid Auburn's going to swing and miss a few times, like they did last time. That's how they probably Harson, right? Yeah, but I mean, every again, like everyone gets so caught up in like, well, what does this mean for us? What happens? Oh, it's embarrassing when we have to settle for our fourth or fifth pick, dude. If your guy wins, no one cares about the carousel. Like seriously, no one cares. 
you got to find, I think you have to have an AD and this is the challenge ahead of John Cohen, which, you know, uh, I'd have to look up exactly what, you know, I think he's an Alabama guy and I have to look up exactly mm-hmm. what his relationship was with, with Auburn. I think it's key for ADs to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your lot in life, whatever that looks like, how to emphasize those strengths and how to minimize those weaknesses and find the coach that can do that for you and understand what that fit looks like. Um, And, you know, not just go get the splashiest hire. You know, if you've got a five-star linebacker that has played, you know, a three, four, his entire career, and you run a four, three, and he says, Oh, I want to come to your school and go, uh, you know, be your next star linebacker. And he's got to come in there and he might not be the best fit for you. Yeah. He's this five-star talent. He's done all these things, but it might not work out. And I think, you know, a lot of ADs, because they want to win that, you know, win the press conference and, and win over the boosters. They want that splashy guy that gets in the headlines and the offseason profile. And that stuff is worthless if you're sitting there in year three, sitting there, you know, six and, or year six two. and four again. Yeah, exactly. If you're sitting there at six and four in year two. That's, you know, that stuff just does not matter. You've got to find your fit and you got to win. Because, again, you know, I really think Tennessee's a good example. I mean, you couldn't find a more underwhelming hire even for the fans that are like the most loyal Tennessee fans. And you're sitting here in year two, number one in the country. I just, at this point in my career, I have never had less confidence in assessing how hires are going to go anywhere, whether they're good or bad. Um, And I just think you just don't really know uh, because it was not going particularly well for Josh Eiffel at UCF. And and now he's in Tennessee and he's tearing it up. And so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you never really know how a coach is going to fit into a program, but the AD has to, and that's that's what your job is. <laughs> Alan Green certainly did not fit at Auburn. He was no. not going to be controlled by that group. <laughs> no, no. He was not going to be controlled. The thing is, the best, the best coaches and the best ADs are really good at influencing people, and maybe it's your idea, and you backslap your way into them believing it's theirs. That's their idea. I, I think you know you didn't hear a lot about this when you know you didn't hear a lot about the uh, the the uproar at Texas when Mac Brown was around because Mac Brown was legendary at this. He was so good at massaging egos, keeping everybody happy. It helps when you win ten games, you know, nine years in a row. That helps. But even early on in that, you know, he had the Mr. February tag where he couldn't, you know, win the big one. But still, like, you know, Texas has always had a lot of booster influence, but you got to have that guy that I think can do that. It's not about we got to shut up these boosters because they're not. They have they give the money to the schools. They're always going to want influence. It's not about, you know, you're, not everybody's Nick Saban where you can walk in there and say, we're doing this my way. You guys can get on or get out. That's what Auburn tried to do. How did that go for them? Didn't go great. <laughs> Not well. We got to find somebody that can that can fit into that and try to make it work. It's an it's a tough job. I mean, this is again why you talk to coaches now. I mean, being a head coach, coaching football is so small of a percentage of the job. Like <laughs> it is a people management job. Players, coaches, boosters, your AD your sort of your your you know your your 500 level fans all that you got to manage all that stuff and then you got to coach a little football in the middle of all that as well and i think that's you know that's a big part of the job because those people are the people that control your fate for better or worse usually worse but sometimes better (laughs) (laughs) more times than not worse no question 
David Ubbin, senior writer with The Athletic, covering college football. You can follow him on Twitter at David Ubbin. David, thanks for taking some time with us today, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, Wild and Wacky Wednesday, the weirdest and wildest news from across the world right here on Main Street Sports Today. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990. Or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T ball to college for 50 plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931 388 8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931 388 5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931 388 5731 and schedule your tour today. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. We're back in Main Street Sports today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Um, Great stuff there from David Ubbin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... That's that's why we bring these people on. It We've is had a couple of great guests today. We have. It's it's been a good day. Yeah, it's been a good day. Well, it's time to do a little uh, wild and wacky. And so, I want to pull this up because one, it's one of the wildest things I think I've ever seen. Um, and so see, can you, can you see that there trying to go full screen with it? Yes. It says it's loading now. I think it's taking forever, taking forever. Let's see here. Let's watch this man blow up his backyard. I think I've seen this before. I don't. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. He's because he's got some matches. Got some matches. I don't know if. The, 
his poor dog is in the doghouse over here. Okay. The dog's just looking at him like, what are you doing? Like, sir. What is it? Like a mole hole or something? Or, or what, what's he? It could be a septic. Does he have a septic tank? I wonder. That's what I was thinking. Good Lord. <laughs> Not no more. Oh, my God. Well, hmm. at, at some point in your life, you can pull that off now. You're bound to face one of the more frustrating problems of being a homeowner. Critters digging holes and tunnels in your yard. Moles, groundhogs, whatever. That's what this guy has. And some people, you know, they like to take a little more explosive approach. Nah. Ah. Ah. <laughs> First of all, dressed in classic dad outfit of jorts, flip-flops, and a polo shirt. This guy's definitely from Florida, right? Yeah. That, did you say flip-flops? I'm pretty sure you had those on. Yeah, flip-flops and jorts. Uh, the yard explodes, especially, uh, you know, for a tiny space like that. He wasn't expecting it, given that the two dogs were just chilling with him. But uh, what were you thinking? Did you go down to the fireworks store and ask for the biggest thing they had? Did you meet with the guy in the trench coat you found on Craigslist? Like, where did you get this idea? This is the people are, are just dumb. <laughs> And I don't understand how how you get to this point in life. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. No, I don't think you are. I, I think it's everybody else, like you said, or the, or the folks okay. that are doing that. Because just making just, sure. it just seems a little reckless. But that's our. I think that's telling us that it's time to oh, get off okay. the air. I don't know if it is or not. All right. All right. A New York City man has been charged with smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants at a U.S.-Canadian border crossing. Calvin Bautista, 36, accused of bringing the hidden snakes on a bus that crossed in northern New York on July 15th of 2018. Importation of Burmese pythons is regulated by an international treaty and federal regulations listing them as injurious to human beings. So there you go. The charge carries a pension for a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a fine as high of $250,000 just for some pythons. Is it worth it? Nope. So, no, thank you. No, I'm good. Anyway, we don't have much time, so let's go ahead and say farewell. Uh, I hate, I hate when that happens, but it's also good because that means we had a good guest right before. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you guys come back with us tomorrow. We've got another fantastic show lined up for you. We will be making our picks. Mm -mm. Tito Lestable, you want to know who's going to go to the state championship games? Ask us. We're going to tell you tomorrow. We're also going to talk to Seth Anderson of uh, Columbia Academy, who has a little unfinished business to take care of out in Jackson. So it should be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great one. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Main Street Sports Day, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs>